Hello, welcome to Choose Wisely. This is the podcast where we deconstruct food and sustainability topics with nuance and primary sources. Guys, I'm getting back into taglines and doing real intros. I'm doing it. I'm Caroline Nelson. I'm a rancher and a big nerd. In recent years, I've made the transition from food consumer to food producer, and I've uncovered a lot along the way. And now I'm bringing you with me as we dig deep beneath the headlines and the hot takes with the context, nuance, and the data missing from today's discourse. Why does it matter? Because we can't fix something we don't truly understand, whether that's our health, our food system, or the planet. Today's topic, does meat cause cancer? So in 2014, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, the IARC, you're going to hear that a lot this podcast. I'm going to talk about them a lot. They are a division of the WHO. And they classified processed meat as a group one carcinogen. There are basically five groups. Group one is the top. So that's carcinogenic to humans. Group 2A is probably carcinogenic. 2B is possibly carcinogenic. <laughs> you get it. So one, two, one through five groups. They put processed meat in group one and red meat in 2A right below it. And... My intro into this topic was me just Googling IARC red meat carcinogen, and this infographic pops up. It's their own infographic that they've made, and it lists like different, they call them agents, so things that are carcinogenic in each group. So let me just give you some context of what else is considered a class one carcinogen. Buckle up, my friends. Neutron radiation, HIV, certain worms, asbestos, arsenic, mustard gas. Like, there's a huge, gigantic list on Wikipedia for all these group one chemicals. Whatever crazy chemical thing you have in your brain right now that you're like, that's toxic sludge, that's this category, okay? There's also some kind of left field agents, so-called agents on this list. Some familiar and then some just weird. So some of the familiar things, UV radiation, good old, good old sunshine, alcohol, which I feel like I knew but didn't really know. I'm like, wait, are these margaritas bad for me? Air pollution. Then the weird ones, salted fish, Chinese style. Like I have, I have follow-up questions, but okay. Wood dust. Not wood, but the dust. Soot. Okay, get that. Diesel exhaust. Okay. Tobacco. All right. So then there it is. Right among all these agents, (laughs) processed meat. So um, then below that, there's group 2A, which is probably carcinogenic. And there's some kind of gnarly stuff in there too that you're like, hmm, this is less cancerous than the salted fish. (laughs) Like, Um, things like glyphosate, anabolic steroids, and then like occupations such as being a hairdresser and then things that you do like high temperature frying. Also being a night shift worker is carcinogenic or associated with being carcinogenic. Okay. So based on a quick Google search, that's where I started with this. Like this issue seems settled. Like it it seems a little weird when you start looking at the list, but it does seem settled that meat is carcinogenic. I'm looking at an article right now that begins, 
that chicken wing you're eating could be as deadly as a cigarette. And like, when I first read that about processed meats, I was like, well, obviously I'm not giving up prosciutto, but I guess I need to just like be honest with myself about what that means for me. Like, I'm going to be here for a good time, not a long time, apparently. But like so many other topics we cover on Choose Wisely, I was apprehensive to start researching for real. The surface top level of this topic seemed so certain, so loud, that I really doubt that I'm going to find anything all that groundbreaking when I start digging into it. And I don't want to change my bratwurst loving lifestyle. Like salami, I consider it a hobby of mine. So I just, I wanted to choose joy. And so I've been kicking this can down the road for several months, really, um, just kind of slowly building this, this word doc of sources and my thoughts on them. But finally, dig I did. And I have so much to tell you. The first really big piece of news, I got to tell you right off the bat, and it goes back to the IARC and the way that they make this classification list. So I always say that everything important is boring, right? So I thought like any normal human being reading this infographic, which is linked in the show notes, by the way, you should pull it up as a reference. I thought, you know, it was ranking cancerishness carcinogeneity. Group one being the most cancery and group five being the least cancery. That's what makes sense (laughs) to rank here. That's not what the infographic is saying. (laughs) From their own website, the IARC classifications describe the strength of scientific evidence about an agent being a cause of cancer rather than assessing the level of risk. Can we sit there for one minute? Like, let's make sure we're crystal clear on what they're saying. What they're saying is this list talks about the degree of scientific certainty. So in some ways, the agents in group one are the things that we are the most focused on as a society. They're the things we have the most evidence for. It's not like they've got all different types of foods on there or all different types of things that we see in everyday life. It's really stuff that like we have the literature and the the data and and the long-term focus to even have data on for the first place. Like nobody is studying like are bananas carcinogenic. Nobody is asking that question and so they're not on the list. That might seem kind of trivial and obvious, but we only get answers to the questions that we ask, right? And so we're only asking is meat carcinogenic. We're not asking about seemingly many other foods. And so that's why meat is one of the only kind of consumables that's on this list. The only other foods I saw that had been studied enough to be on the list were coffee and pickled vegetables, which are in group 2B possible carcinogens. Like right below meat. And I'm sorry, but when I saw pickled vegetables, I just stopped worrying as much. Like it just became obvious to me that this list is organized kind of weirdly, like unintuitively. So for example, gasoline engine exhaust is classed below red meat, meaning according to the system, 
we are more certain that red meat is carcinogenic than we are that gasoline exhaust is. Like, which would you intuitively choose to consume a lot of? Exhaust fumes? Like, the kind that kill people in confined spaces? Or red meat? Like, I'm just saying that the list in some ways tells us the things that we need to study more. Let me make this as clear as I humanly can. If we found out tomorrow that eating five peaches every single day would increase your risk of getting one single type of cancer by 1%, it would still qualify as carcinogenic and it would belong in like the high level group, like one or two A, along with mustard gas because the infographic and the classification system is is assessing how much we have studied this, the degree of scientific certainty. It's not classifying degree of risk, the degree of canceriness. Okay. Have I beat that dead horse <laughs> long enough? It just feels important. It feels important that we should start there. I'm not casting aspersion on this classification system. I am, I think, rightly pointing out that we are fairly early on, apparently, studying a lot of stuff that you'd think we might have checked into a little harder by now. Like, we're not so sure about gasoline exhaust. Like, really? Um, I feel like my whole choose wisely journey into academia and scientific journals has left me feeling like, hmm, we're just not that far along yet, are we? Like, we don't seem to know as much as we think we know. The Guardian actually came out with an article tackling this very misunderstanding about the IARC's system, the classification system, and it said, the way this message has been framed is extremely misleading. Comparing meat to tobacco makes it seem like a bacon sandwich is just as harmful as a cigarette. That is absolutely not the case. And here's the thing. No one reads the fine print. No one reads the follow-up articles. No one is looking at this infographic and like reading the teensy weensy size nine font text at the bottom explaining how to read the infographic. They're just reading it. And so I have a bone to pick with the IARC's graphic designers. You can't unring a bell, right? Like, and the IARC, like this classification system makes it look like the average barbecue frying a hot dog over a hot grill in the sunshine with a beer in your hands like sounds like you're taking your life in your hands okay let's back up what even is processed meat that's the one that's at the highest level the most studied and believed to be carcinogenic processed meat is meat that has been preserved by smoking, salting, curing or adding chemical preservatives, so nitrites. Now here's where it gets really tangly. <laughs> processed meat can be red meat, it can also be white meat or poultry. Red meat can only be red meat. Processed meat can be all these different types of meat. And we sort of like when the news articles when they're intending to talk about processed meat, they often are kind of swapping that out interchangeably with red meat, but but that's not what our data tells us. Like there is plenty of processed chicken and turkey. And actually regarding chicken and fish, the WHO says the cancer risks simply have not been evaluated on them. So that's why, you know, they're calling out processed meat and then they're calling out red meat. They don't have kind of a, a subsection yet for unprocessed chicken, unprocessed fish. They just haven't studied it yet and they haven't evaluated it yet. 
We also don't have any differentiation on like species. So pork versus beef, beef versus lamb, processed lamb versus processed chicken. We also don't have any data breaking down the meat by sourcing. Like, does it matter if it's grass fed? Does it matter if it's organic? These are just questions that have popped up for me when I started digging into this. And the answer is resoundingly no. Like we barely have the data that we have, and I'll get into that in a minute. We certainly don't have any sort of like nitty gritty analysis on subcategories of processed meat and red meat. One other question that popped up for me right away, and this is kind of a peek into the occasional nightmare of living in my brain where I can't just take anything at face value. I have to dissect and poke and prod. And my husband says this can make me like really frustrating at times. We'll be listening to a song and I'm like, that lyric is silly and spend five minutes like dissecting it and how it's misogynistic or something. And he's like, I please let me love this song. <laughs> like, what are you doing? So anyway, here's the question. If we're saying processed meats are carcinogenic, perhaps it's the processing we need to be focused on, not the meat. Like in the example of high temperature frying, like that's considered, you know, probably carcinogenic by the WHO. It's not the frying, right? It's the smoke, I'm assuming. So does the way that we cook make a difference? And and does it matter what type of curing agents are used in the processed meat? Because you can use salt to cure meat. That's a lot of what processed meat is. There's also more like synthetic chemicals that are used to process meat and preserve meat. So does that matter? I mean, I'm going to guess yes, but we don't have data on that. The WHO actually addresses it and just says no to all of my questions. <laughs> no, uh, we don't have data at this time. Again, I think this is interesting, right? We only get answers to questions we are asking. And the question we seem to be asking as a society for the last 10 years particularly is, is meat bad for us? And one of my favorite sayings is, ask better questions, get better answers. So like, if it turns out that we're asking like, does cooking with an oil that has a low smoke point, like does that increase the carcinogenic effect of cooking red meat or whatever? That's a more interesting question and we'd get a more targeted answer. It just seems like that result would be more impactful to me. I mean, intellectually at least, like I'm not going to stop doing <laughs> high temperature searing and sauteing. <laughs> like that's how you make food delicious. But like, it's good to know, I guess, like conceptually as I'm searing, you know, putting the most beautiful char on some peppers, I might like step a foot back <laughs> from the stove. I, I don't know. Like <laughs> I'm getting sidetracked. I'm getting sidetracked. Okay. The research began. I read the studies. They're linked in the show notes. A lot of them are, are meta-analyses. So they're studies of studies. And I tried to keep two very recent ones because this research has been evolving. We now have like meta-analyses of meta-analyses. It's like a rushing nesting doll of people analyzing meat studies. I read until my eyes glazed over. And actually, I read way past the point that your eyes glaze over because they glaze over in the first five minutes of reading these studies. They're so boring. They're so long. They're written with such seemingly on-purpose, incomprehensible language to make them unreadable by anyone with less than a PhD. They're like horrible to read. And so I, I hesitate to blame 
anyone for not reading them thoroughly. But I did say hesitate because I'm starting to blame some people. What I can now tell you after one of my multi-day research benders is that at best, headlines saying meat causes cancer are misleading clickbait. At worst, they're written by shoddy journalists who don't seem to have even read the abstract of the studies they were writing about. Here's what the headlines say. Processed meat increases your cancer risk by 20%. Sounds scary, right? Like, sounds like a lot. (laughs) I learned quickly that's not really what the studies say. Here's what they do say. For people with a diet high in processed meats, there is a correlation with a 1% lifetime increase in the risk of getting colorectal cancer. That cancer specifically, not other kinds of cancer, which that's interesting on its own. But when we hear about meat and cancer, we kind of hear them like spoken about very broadly, but actually the data that we have is only specific to one very common cancer, colorectal. And here's what we think we know right now. If you have this diet and a lifestyle with a lot of processed meat, so this takes your lifetime risk of getting CRC, colorectal cancer, from a baseline of 4% to, wait for it, 5%, a 1% increase. Daily bacon equals 1% increase. Also, who's having daily bacon? Can I come over? (laughs) Just kidding. But wait, all the headlines that say processed meats increase cancer risk by 20%, where did they get that 20% number? And here's where we get to the first thing that started to make me really pissed. 20% is the increase from 4% to 5%. A 20% increase. And that is called a relative increase. And this is how I learned the difference between relative risk and absolute risk. Relative risk in this case is 20%. Absolute risk, like the boots on the ground, actual lifetime increase in your risk, is 1%. And now that I've learned about this, I see it all the time. Headlines and marketers love relative risk because it sounds like a bigger deal. And actually the academics love it too. Again, it sounds like a bigger deal. It sounds like the studies have found something like really substantive when you use relative risk. For example, new wonder drug reduces heart attack risk by 50%. Okay. Like that sounds huge versus here's another headline that would be absolute risk. New wonder drug reduces heart attacks from 2 per 100 people to 1 per 100 people. Both headlines are technically accurate, and yet they feel very different when we hear them. So those headlines that said meat increases cancer risk by 20% could have also said a diet high in processed meats is correlated with the 1% increase in lifetime risk of getting colorectal cancer. Is that an article you would click on? Is that a statistic? that would freak you out? No. And so the very way that these findings are framed is in such a way as to get us to engage with them. And and in so doing, distorts the data. I was honestly starting to really doubt my analysis when I was finding this 1% increase number. I was like, 
I can't be interpreting this right. First of all, I'm bad at math. Second of all, these studies are really dry and boring. Like the IARC has made such a huge stink about this. There just must be a study I haven't found yet. Every single article is so clear. They don't say meat is associated with the cancer increase. They say meat causes cancer. The truth, it can't possibly be this like little 1% absolute risk that only happens sometimes. And actually some studies show no risk at all. Like that can't be right. And then thank you universe. My friend sent me the new Neil deGrasse Tyson book. Shout out Kalina. (laughs) Let me read to you an excerpt from Starry Messenger, which had me like screaming. He says, let's analyze this sentence from the American Cancer Society's webpage on colon cancer. Cooking meats at very high temperatures creates chemicals that might raise your cancer risk. The word might appears because some studies show no increased risk at all. In any case, and this is Neil talking, I happen to like searing meats at very high temperatures, but I also don't want to get cancer. The webpage does not quantify my baseline risk. Digging elsewhere, I learned that my lifetime risk of getting colorectal cancer is 4.3%. And from a separate study, I learned that my increased risk of getting colorectal cancer is about 15% with huge variance from study to study. What's conversationally deceptive, especially if you just read the headlines, is that your lifetime chance of getting colorectal cancer has not increased by 15%. What has increased is the risk on your baseline. If you eat meats grilled at high temperatures, your lifetime risk increases from 4.3 to 4.9%, which is indeed a 15% increase. If you're a barbecuing meatarian, you can choose to accept this increased risk in your life. We simply need honesty and transparency when reporting these statistics. So not only was I screaming because he reiterated and reinforced what I was finding, but also his numbers were even smaller than mine. (laughs) And here's something else to consider before we move on. This kind of infinite decimal association we have with processed meat, so this 1% absolute increase, that gets it in the, you know, group one carcinogenic classification by the IARC. Remember, red meats are classified even lower. We have even less scientific certainty for red meat. Like, when you see how freaking tiny and unnewsworthy this really is, It just feels kind of insulting, like to our intelligence. It feels like we've been lied to by omission, and I hate it. Okay. Anyway, I've got more things to fire you up in a minute. Choose Wisely is brought to you by my small business, Little Creek Lamb and Beef. The first Monday of every month, I pack and ship our beef subscription orders. These are customers who get a box every month or every two or three or four months. And we got the best customer review the other day, so I'm gonna read it to you. Brenda wrote me and she said, hi, I gifted the beef subscription to my husband for Christmas and we look forward to every single meal we've made out of it. Honestly, these are the best burgers we have ever had, ever. I also love being able to watch the love and passion that goes into the food we are feeding our kid. And I told him the story of how it can all be traced back locally. My only wish is that we did this sooner. Thank you. That meant so much to me. We've been running our beef subscription for a couple years now, and I love custom packing each box. I feel like I get to know each family, who they're cooking for. I learn their favorite cuts. 
and we're swapping it up all the time, making sure they're trying new things every box. It's so fun. For a limited time, we're offering 10% off your first order over $100 with the code WISELY, all caps. That's WISELY, W-I-S-E-L-Y. Follow the link in the show notes to shop or visit littlecreekmontana.com. As I researched, I learned something really interesting. Food studies are notoriously hard to do. You've heard me say correlated and associated a lot. And why is that? Because meat and cancer studies on humans don't actually show causation. They show correlation. And this might sound nitpicky, but really it's not. Basically, it would be financially, logistically, and ethically impossible to study vast numbers of humans on vastly different diets their whole lives. So instead, we observe them as they are. And that comes with some flaws. There's a great recent episode from the podcast Maintenance Phase about this called Forks Over Knives. Is a vegetarian diet healthy for you? I highly recommend going to listen to that after you finish this episode, though. So here's the deal. At best, observational studies where we just like observe group of humans as they already are, they can only give us associations and correlations. You can't get causation saying like this causes this from an observational study. And actually on the WHO website, under their like meat and cancer FAQs, they actually have like, we are very confident that meat causes cancer. And that's not correct. Like they are not confident of that. The studies don't say that and their own like (laughs) rating system does not say that. Um, We are very confident that high uh, intake of processed meats is correlated with an increase in cancer. It doesn't make these claims wrong, not at all. It does mean that there can be confounding factors. And occasionally, yes, these correlations can be off-base, spurious, if you will. And actually, if you Google spurious correlations, you'll find a lot of fun ones, like the number of movies Nick Cage has starred in is perfectly correlated with the number of people who fell into a pool and drowned. It's extra hard to isolate processed meats as a variable, and I can't believe I'm an adult talking about variables. My 15-year-old self would be (laughs) so disappointed in me, but the same people who are associated with higher consumptions of red meat, processed meat, et cetera, et cetera, are also associated with different lifestyle factors like higher tobacco consumption, alcohol, overall processed food in their diet less exercise, less education even, certain geography, certain genetics, socioeconomics also play a huge role. Also, a lot of these human observational food studies rely on self-reporting, which is sort of notoriously bad data. (laughs) Like we, it turns out we don't know what we eat. Like we think we know what we eat and we actually are really bad at telling people accurately what we ate. Um, Also, sometimes these studies aren't very large, and that means that we get weak data. So let's say we do a study on 100 people and we have like this strong correlation, it gets a ton of headlines, when really for this kind of topic where there's so many confounding variables and humans are so big and complicated, we need like huge sample sizes to get anywhere. The most recent huge meta-analysis I could find from 2021 talks about how diets high in processed and red meat are associated with increased risks, not just of colorectal cancer, but it's now being said they're associated with other cancers as well. So 
all similar ranges of relative risk, 12 to 20% increases on the relative side, which ends up being in the ballpark of 1% absolute risk increase. I saw breast cancer on there. I believe I also saw stomach cancer. So again, we're seeing kind of an association, a correlation, and honestly, a pretty tiny one. Um, It really just, the thing that kind of really grinds my gears about the headlines that say meat causes cancer is that there's a much bigger story here behind these associations. And I'm always interested in what we're not talking about. And again, let me refer you to that maintenance phase episode called Forks Over Knives. There are huge factors playing major roles in our lives that these studies can't really control for. So here's an example. People who brush their teeth regularly have 30% lower mortality. Is it that teeth brushing makes you live longer? No, it's that the behavior, the act of doing so is associated with people who take care of themselves in other ways. People who exercise, eat balanced and whole food diets. People who have higher socioeconomic status. Like that's a big one. It's amazing what financial abundance, access to medical care, lower stress and consistent sleep does for your health. That's what we're not really talking about. Even when you're comparing just like meat eaters on their own to non-meat eaters, vegetarians as a group have fantastic health outcomes. They exercise more. They're less likely to smoke, less likely to drink. They're more educated. They tend to be from more affluent backgrounds. Like, are you getting this picture? It's not the lack of meat in their diets that's making them more likely to go to college. We have cultural, socioeconomic, class, religious, social factors going on here that are these huge, powerful forces that are working, doing what they will on us all the time. I just read that loneliness is associated with a 50% increase in the risk of dementia, also increased risk of heart attack and strokes. Like, I'm not trying to minimize an association between red meat or processed meat and cancer, but like, There are bigger things that we need to be focusing on, in my opinion, like bigger societal ills. At the end of so many articles I read on this topic, there was just this same throwaway line repeated over and over. It was like, well, you know, results vary, but the main thing scientists agree on is we just need to be eating a balanced whole food diet and getting enough exercise. And it's like, how many times do we need to do this whole rigmarole until we just like believe doctors? (laughs) Like we should just sleep as deeply and consistently as we can. We should just like eat a variety of foods in moderation, take care of ourselves, like be in community. Like we have spent, I can only imagine the millions and millions of dollars on these meat studies. And this is still the best we can do. Like in the end, we're still like, oh, uh, I guess just like do your best, try to be a balanced, healthy human. Like getting too caught up in these results feels really counterproductive. Like if if you're going to grill some hot dogs with friends and the smoke from the hot dog or maybe the curing agent in the hot dog is going to teensily increase your risk of getting CRC, but then the social interaction is going to be like preventing you from dementia and the sun, the UV radiation is increasing your cancer risk, but it's also filling up your vitamin D. Like, like how do we quantify this? This feels paralyzing to try and tease out robotically, like how to live optimally so we live forever. Okay, let me back up again. (laughs) I told you all the reasons that we have not done interventional studies and can't do interventional studies on humans. 
but we have done them on mice. This is where we can have real randomized controls. We can isolate variables. We can replicate studies. Like this is a much more rigorous way to study things. Again, it's like it is on mice. So it, <laughs> it's really more accurate like two mice, but we can't do these type of studies on humans. And don't you worry, I read these mouse studies. <laughs> Findings showed that mice that were fed exclusively frankfurters had an increased incidence of tumors. And the headline was, too much nitrite cured meat brings clear risk of cancer, says scientists. But here's what else the scientists said when you actually read the study. <laughs> they said a total of 10 animal studies have investigated the effect of nitrite consumption on colorectal cancer. Four of these studies found no effect. One study found a significant decrease in CRC and five studies found a statistically significant increase in CRC. So we're batting 50% even with the mouse studies. <laughs> like... I'm not kidding you when I say that this study and others like it, this is the level of scientific certainty on which the IIRC's cancer classifications are based. This is the level. I'm not saying their findings are bogus. I just don't find them worth all the hubbub. And here's something I'm starting to, a little sneaky suspicion that's starting to come up in me. After reading all these academic articles, I'm starting to feel that there is a bias towards wanting one's own findings to be noteworthy. No one wants to have spent tons of time and effort and other people's money feeding my frankfurters and then not having anything noteworthy to discuss. And something else that I've been hearing a lot of critiques of regarding our current peer review system is that right now we don't get the results of studies that don't come up with anything. Like if a study fails, fails to come up with anything statistically significant, like we just don't get that info. So then in the studies where, you know, they do all this work, like this mouse study, it's a big meta-analysis of all these other mouse studies. Four out of 10 times, there was no effect. One time, you know, the Frankfurters were protective to CRC. And half the time, there was this weensy little increase in tumors in mice. It's like, okay, we have this finding. We want to make a huge deal of it. And we're going to have to frame this also in everyday jargon. We can't you know, get a headline with the science talk. So we're going to need to distill this down so that the media can pick it up so that we can get our flowers for this work, so to speak. And so then the public gets all hyped up about colorectal cancer. But you want to know something else that gets left out of these discussions? Death from CRC has been declining since 1985. And actually, according to the American Cancer Society, all cancer mortality has gone down almost 30% since 1991. Does this change any of the findings on meat and CRC? No. But it's context we need to accurately have to evaluate our risk. Have you ever read an article with the title, Cancer Deaths Consistently Going Down? Like, what? This is just not information I had at all. I would have thought it was the complete opposite. And actually, by the way, it's mostly due to better screening. So get screened, folks. But anyway, that's another topic. I want to zoom out again. I keep saying that. Zoom out, zoom out, zoom out. The IARC, the WHO, these are global groups, international organizations making global recommendations, which is why I'm looking at them with such scrutiny, because the WHO is simultaneously calling meat carcinogenic and on their own website saying there are numerous health benefits to meat. 
And I would be a lot more hung up on this 1% CRC cancer risk increase if at large humans nutritionally were doing well, which we're not. If the nutrients in meat were in any other food, we would call that food a superfood. Meat is a superfood. I'm going to start saying it. I literally just ordered a bumper sticker that says that. It has so many freaking essential nutrients in such fantastic bioavailability. So the FAO, a division of the United Nations, just put out a report that is mind-blowing. They call meat TASF, terrestrial animal source foods, by the way, TASF. And their very first key finding of the whole 250-something page report is that animal foods provide better protein than other food. Just period. Just better, more bioavailable, more abundant protein. That is particularly important for cognition for humans of all ages, but particularly pregnant and breastfeeding women, children, the elderly. I'm going to quote an excerpt from the study um, because they're also looking at dairy. It's very interesting. Findings largely indicate the consumption of milk and dairy products, such as yogurt, has positive effects in terms of reducing risk of all-cause mortality. So like all-cause, like everything. Relatively robust evidence shows that egg consumption among adults does not increase the risk of stroke or coronary heart disease. Compelling evidence suggests that in adults, meat intake between 85 and 300 grams a day can protect against iron deficiency. Poultry meat has not been studied as much as beef, but findings suggest non-significant effects on stroke risk, with subgroup analysis suggesting a protective effect in women. So it's like, we're already starting to see the very complex matrix of all these different foods on our health, depending on who we are, where we are, what stage of life we're in, what other factors our lifestyle contains. Globally, one billion people are not consuming enough protein. So like, let's just start there. Iron deficiency globally affects 30% of women and 40% of children. According to the Global Alliance for Improved Nutrition, minimally processed animal source foods are good sources of many nutrients, often in higher concentrations or more bioavailable forms than in plant source foods. I'm not trying to rank food here. I'm trying to paint a picture where... We have a complex, nuanced, global population, and we are not meeting a lot of people's very basic nutritional needs. Red meats, particularly organ meats, but also steak in general, and along with dark leafy greens, eggs, and shellfish, these are among the most nutrient-dense foods we have, and they're particularly important for vulnerable populations. Animal foods are also the only dietary sources of things like intrinsic retinol, heme iron, and vitamin B12. We have families, schools, government programs, and nursing homes making nutritional decisions based on headlines that were written for clicks by journalists who never read past the first page of a study. We have schools doing meatless Mondays in districts where we have children with high levels of food insecurity. Like, that really fires me up. We have children with developing brains, developing bodies who need nutrient-dense food, and school is often the only place they can get it, and we are starting to limit that in some school districts. For the environment, though. It's for the environment. (laughs) It's my opinion, just at large, that we won't get better health, and by the same logic, I don't think we'll get a better environment by restricting anything. We are not going to save the planet and save the people through scarcity. I'm recording this now from a very small town. We're an hour away from a real grocery store. 
We're at very high elevation. We have very severe weather and a very short growing season. Growing vegetables is really freaking hard here. Red meat is the most nutrient-dense food we have out here, and it's also ecologically appropriate for this region. Like, we have a ton of native ruminants that would have lived here. Red meat has always been a very important part of the diet of this region. We have tremendous food insecurity here in Montana. One in 12 children here is hungry. And I can't help but point out, by the way, that the meat that is considered the most carcinogenic, the processed meat, the canned meat, it's the shelf-stable meat, the meat that is already cooked, ready to eat, can ship, can store, without a freezer. Shelf-stable food is extremely important for people facing hunger. And I just, I tend to think that when we start vilifying foods, this is one of the first things that gets left out. If you're like me, your brain is kind of starting to melt. I could go down this health rabbit hole forever. I could read study after study, evaluating what I should eat exactly, how many hours of sleep I need, how many daily steps. I could figure out the perfect amount of sunshine that would give me vitamin D, but not melanoma. I could analyze my genetics, assess my risk of cancer, heart disease, failing eyesight. I could do all those things. I would probably still be wrong. I'm not minimizing the effort to do so. What I'm saying is the more that I dig in, the more I realize that health is an immeasurable for or five or 10 dimensional matrix. And I suspect that obsessing over it, endlessly researching and, and trying to, you know, working myself into a lather in an attempt to optimize my health will at best deliver diminishing returns and at worst exacerbate poor health in the form of stress and anxiety. Like I have read the studies now, I've seen the worst of it and brought worse still brings me joy. <laughs> It makes my body feel good. I feel full and fueled when I have a good salty brat. <laughs> it reminds me of family trips to the ballpark and campfires and happy memories. They make me feel proud to raise such great local beef. And I love stressing that these so-called processed meats won't go bad in the fridge if I leave them a couple extra days. And damn, they're good. Cooked over high heat with a beer in your hand, the sun shining bright in a nice smoky campfire with a bunch of your friends sitting around it. All of those things I just mentioned are, according to the WHO, carcinogenic agents. To which I say, thank you for joining me today on Choose Wisely. I hope your next meal is delicious and your next conversation Please give us a follow over on Instagram at Choose Wisely Podcast. We also just got Twitter, and I'm going to be sharing my favorite lines from the episode. Some funny, some serious. We are at Choose Wisely Pod. And also, you can send us an email. You can give us episode suggestions, give us your thoughts, whatever you want to talk about. That's choosewiselypodcast at gmail.com. Please, please, please give us a rating. We really appreciate the reviews, and it helps other people find the podcast. All right. See you next week. Cheers. <laughs>